Welcome back, folks, to Unknown Friends, our weekly book review podcast. Thanks for tuning in today to the 10th episode of Season 2. I'm your host, Rochelle Ferguson of Kitty Wayne Productions, and you can visit the podcast's Patreon site, patreon.com slash unknownfriends, to unlock bonus episodes and other exclusive content only available to listeners who become subscribers there on Patreon. A big thank you to those of you who have already become patrons of the podcast, and I hope more of you continue to join the Unknown Friends community there to partner with us in the creation of these weekly book reviews. Now, today's book is, of course, The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. I hope each and every one of you has already read it. It is a strange, unconventional book, but absolutely brilliant and convicting, and dare I say inspirational in surprising ways. As you know, if you've listened to the podcast for very long, C.S. Lewis is my favorite author. His works were and are incredibly formative in my life. Uh, I think everyone needs to read The Chronicles of Narnia as a child, or if you missed it then as an adult, it's not too late. Uh, I can't even identify all the myriad ways Narnia shaped my heart and mind as a kid, and then as a teen, and now still as an adult. Its influence has just been so deep. And of course, not only Narnia, but all of Lewis's fiction and so much of his nonfiction as well. I can't name every work individually, but I'm just so grateful for all the things Lewis continues to teach me. Anyway, we have discussed C.S. Lewis many times before. Uh, Even in last week's episode, I read you a passage from his essay on stories about the wind and the willows. And of course, last year in season one, we discussed two of his works of fiction, Till We Have Faces and The Great Divorce in episodes one and 30. Now, I'm not going to describe his biography in depth today since he is so well-known and we've discussed him before, but just to remind you of the basics, he was born in 1898 and died in 1963, and he became a Christian in 1931. He spoke and wrote extensively, especially in the 1940s and 50s, and he married Joy Davidman in 1956. And of course, he taught English literature at the University of Oxford for almost 30 years, from 1925 to 54, and then he continued his teaching career at Cambridge from 1954 until a few months before his death in 1963. Now, what about the Screwtape Letters? Uh, Where and how does it fit into the timeline of Lewis's life? Well, it was first published in 1941, during World War II, but let's consider first what else Lewis was writing around that same time. He had recently finished his nonfiction book, The Problem of Pain, published in late 1940, and he was in the middle of his space trilogy. Out of the Silent Planet had been published in 1938, and by 1941, he was writing book two, Paralandra, which has interesting uh, thematic overlaps with the Screwtape Letters. During the publication of the Screwtape Letters in 1941, Lewis also started his BBC Talks, which eventually became his uh, very famous book, Mere Christianity. 
Now, according to Lewis's correspondence with his brother Warren, the inspiration for writing the screw tape letters came in the summer of 1940. Uh, the exact date is disputed, but it seems that it was probably on Sunday, July 21st, while sitting in church, that the concept of the book occurred to him. He wrote this to Warren. I was struck by an idea for a book which I think might be both useful and entertaining. It would be called As One Devil to Another, and would consist of letters from an elderly retired devil to a young devil who has just started work on his first patient. The idea would be to give all the psychology of temptation from the other point of view. And apart from the title change, that is exactly what Lewis then wrote over the next several months. He ended up writing 31 imagined letters between the experienced devil named Screwtape and his inexperienced nephew, Wormwood, uh, who has been assigned his first human to tempt away from God, his first patient, as the devils call the human. So Lewis wrote this series of letters from Screwtape to Wormwood, and in 1941, from May through November, they were published serially in the Anglican newspaper The Guardian. And then in 1942, they were collected and published in book form, dedicated, interestingly, to Lewis's good friend J.R.R. Tolkien. And it sold so well, I believe the book had 17 printings in the UK alone just during the rest of the war. And of course, the book has remained popular and uh, in print to this day. In a preface to the book, which Lewis wrote for a 1960 edition, he commented on the public response to the Screwtape Letters. He wrote, in general, they had a reception I had never dreamed of. Sales were at first, by my standards, prodigious and have continued steady. Reviews were either laudatory or filled with that sort of anger which tells an author that he has hit his target. Uh, interesting perspective from Lewis there. And I'm not surprised that the book made some readers angry. It's, it's too insightful and honest not to make some tempers flare. All right, so much for the book's publication. Now, you may be wondering, how can a book entirely composed of imagined correspondence between devils possibly be edifying uh, or even remotely wholesome to read? Is this not, you know, like evil? Um, well, yes and no. Uh, of course, the devil's perspective is evil. Everything they say is upside down. Really, even their terminology is backwards. They refer to God as the enemy, uh, and they serve their father below. All the advice Screwtape is giving his nephew Wormwood is explicitly for the purpose of pulling the patient, the human to whom Wormwood is assigned, away from God away from the enemy, as they say. So yes, of course, their perspective is twisted, but what we get from reading the screw tape letters is a kind of listening in to the bad guy's plans. 
It's like in a war when the good guys, you know, plant a hidden mic in the bad guys' headquarters and are able to hear their discussions and secrets and figure out exactly how to prepare for and counter all the enemy's plans. This kind of listening might not be exactly pleasant, but it is invaluable. And that's what we get from the screw tape letters. Like Lewis himself said, it explores the psychology of temptation from the other point of view. And the result is that we readers learn more about how temptation works and how to resist and overcome temptation. That's the whole point. So is it kind of repulsive to read one devil's advice to another? Yes, it is. But is it incredibly enlightening? Also, yes. Now, one more question arises, though. How literally does Lewis intend us to take this setup, this correspondence between devils? Well, obviously, we're not to take it strictly literally. It is fiction. This is an imaginative setup. Much like The Great Divorce also uses an imaginative setup, which we're not to take literally, but which is remarkably useful for the purpose of teaching us more about ourselves and our relationship to God. Uh, And more specifically, Lewis, in his 1960 preface, comments on this exact question. Uh, First, he responds to the question of whether he really believes in devils. He writes, I do. That is to say, I believe in angels, and I believe that some of these, by the abuse of their free will, have become enemies to God and, as a corollary, to us. These we may call devils. And then later in the preface, he adds this, which I think completes his answer to the question of how literally we should take the book. He says, The question of my own opinion about devils, though proper to be answered when once it was raised, is really of very minor importance for a reader of Screwtape. To those who share that opinion, my devils will be symbols of a concrete reality. To others, they will be personifications of abstractions, and the book will be an allegory. But it makes little difference which way you read it. For of course, its purpose was not to speculate about diabolical life— but to throw light from a new angle on the life of men. So, either way, his devil characters are symbols of sorts. Either of real devils who really tempt us humans, though in ways which, of course, we can only speculate about, or they're symbols of real, though impersonal, forces in our world, and even inside us, which tend to tempt us away from God. In any case, the imagined advice from the senior devil screw tape to the junior devil Wormwood illuminates the nature of temptation in an extraordinarily insightful way. So, like I said, the book is composed of 31 letters from screw tape, all attempting to guide Wormwood as he continually attempts to lead his patient astray. The patient, at the beginning of the book, actually converts to Christianity, and that's when Wormwood's task gets particularly difficult, and Screwtape starts sharing from his own experience as a tempter to try to help Wormwood pull the patient away from God. So, beyond all these letters, there's an implicit story going on, which is the patient's development as a Christian. 
while he's never given a name, through the letters you learn about him, you learn about his mother and their strained relationship, you learn about his friends, some of whom the devils view as helpful for their cause, while others only pull the patient closer to God, the, the so-called enemy. You also learn about a girl the patient falls in love with eventually, and you also hear rumors of war in the background, because uh, apparently the patient's spiritual journey is occurring during World War II. So Wormwood, with Screwtape's help, is desperately trying to draw the patient away from his newfound faith. And at times, Wormwood seems to be making progress, while at other times he seems to be failing. And in the long run, we eventually see that the patient is moving into closer and closer relationship with God, despite Wormwood's best efforts, and much to his dismay. Uh, I don't think it's really a spoiler to tell you that much. I won't tell you how the book ends. Um, I I think it's an amazing ending. I really love it. And I love what Focus on the Family did with it in their audio dramatization. Uh, so they produced an audio drama of the Screwtape Letters several years back, and it really surprised me how well uh, they brought it to life in that format. It's very well done, very faithful to the book, uh, and I thought they did a fantastic job with the ending in particular. Anyway, won't spoil it for you. Uh, back to the content of the letters themselves. So, the psychology of temptation. Ultimately, uh, as Screwtape frequently reminds his inept nephew, their goal is always and only to pull the humans away from God by whatever means necessary. So, to that end, Screwtape instructs Wormwood on how to encourage a wide variety of vices, big and small, obvious and subtle, he talks about how to promote selfishness in the patient, how to promote uh, gluttony and lust, hypocrisy and spiritual pride, uh, fear, hatred, ignorance. Uh, he also, and this is very important, discusses how to discourage the formation of virtues in the patient uh, or the formation of anything, even, dare I say, neutral or natural in the patient. Because, let me let me just quote Screwtape here, he tells Wormwood, everything has to be twisted before it's any use to us. And in another letter, he explains more thoroughly. He writes, never forget that when we are dealing with any pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are in a sense on the enemy's ground. I know we have won many a soul through pleasure, all the same, it is his invention, not ours. He made the pleasures. All our research so far has not enabled us to produce one. All we can do is to encourage the humans to take the pleasures which our enemy has produced at times, or in ways, or in degrees, which he has forbidden. So it's, it's insights such as these which fill the book from cover to cover, even though, yes, you have to get used to the, the backwards presentation of the insights. The enemy refers to God and so forth. But through these letters, Lewis is teaching us about the realities of vice and virtue, or in other words, the real ways that we find ourselves drawn toward or away from God. 
And those ways don't always coincide with the traditional kinds of vices and virtues we might tend to think of. Um, yes, the devils tell each other pride and gluttony and all those more obvious vices do pull humans away from God. But there are other less obvious and therefore sometimes more powerful ways of distancing a soul from its creator. For instance, I want to read to you a longish passage from the 12th letter, which I return to often in my mind and I think is incredibly powerful. And I'm going to read the whole thing to you because there's just no way to put it in any other words than the original and do the concepts justice. So in this letter, it has become clear to the reader that Wormwood's patient has been drifting slightly and slowly away from God. Uh, the initial fervor of his conversion has cooled. Wormwood has been pulling at him, and he's facing some doubts and temptations and guilt. And so the devils are trying to make full use of the patient's current weakness to drive a wedge between him and his faith. So Screwtape is helping Wormwood lay out his plans for the human, and what results is an incredibly profound reflection on pleasure and sin. So I'm going to read a good chunk, a little over a page, although these, these pages are small. So Screwtape writes this to Wormwood about the patient's current situation. As this condition becomes more fully established, you will be gradually freed from the tiresome business of providing pleasures as temptations. As the uneasiness and his reluctance to face it cut him off more and more from all real happiness, and as habit renders the pleasures of vanity and excitement and flippancy at once less pleasant and harder to forego, for that is what habit fortunately does to a pleasure— you will find that anything or nothing is sufficient to attract his wandering attention. You no longer need a good book which he really likes to keep him from his prayers or his work or his sleep. A column of advertisements in yesterday's paper will do. You can make him waste his time, not only in conversation he enjoys with people whom he likes, but also in conversations with those he cares nothing about, on subjects that bore him. You can make him do nothing at all for long periods. You can keep him up late at night, not roistering, but staring at a dead fire in a cold room. All the healthy and outgoing activities which we want him to avoid can be inhibited and nothing given in return, so that at last he may say, as one of my own patients said on his arrival down here, I now see that I spent most of my life in doing neither what I ought nor what I liked. The Christians describe the enemy as one without whom nothing is strong. And nothing is very strong. Strong enough to steal away a man's best years, not in sweet sins, but in a dreary flickering of the mind over it knows not what and knows not why in the gratification of curiosities so feeble that the man is only half aware of them, in drumming of fingers and kicking of heels, in whistling tunes that he does not like, or in the long, dim labyrinth of reveries that have not even lust or ambition to give them a relish, but which, once chance association has started them, the creature is too weak and fuddled to shake off. 
You will say that these are very small sins, and doubtless, like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards, if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Phew, that is sobering, isn't it? Now, I would say that's one of the darker passages in the book, There are others, similarly sobering, but then there are also others that I find positively encouraging, even inspiring, as strange as that may sound, Um, especially when the patient is doing better at resisting Wormwood's temptations and these devil's efforts to pull him away from the enemy are being thwarted. I enjoy those passages. Uh, I also enjoy when Screwtape is discussing the enemy, as he must do sometimes, uh, explaining to Wormwood how their enemy thinks about and deals with humans. There are actually some beautiful, powerful moments in the book that speak of God's love for his creation and his patience with us, despite these things being spoken by a devil. I know, it's crazy. I I don't know how C.S. Lewis manages that, but he does. Uh, and, and that's what I think I want to conclude with. Uh, one more quote, not so long this time, but one that I think is profound and inspiring. And it's one of those moments in which Screwtape is speaking of God, the enemy, and his view of humans. So Screwtape writes, He wants them to learn to walk and must therefore take away his hand. And if only the will to walk is really there, he is pleased even with their stumbles. Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring but intending to do our enemy's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. I think that is piercingly beautiful. I don't know how to describe it. So if you can't tell, I am recommending the screw tape letters. It's brilliant and perceptive, and like Lewis so often does, um, as we discussed when I reviewed The Great Divorce, this book peels away appearances. It undermines our false assumptions and our lazy habits of thought, and it reveals realities like we've never seen them before. It puts the world in terms that matter. Even the smallest choices in our day-to-day lives are either strengthening or weakening our soul, either bonding us closer to God or distancing us from Him. What we do and how we think matters immensely. And I will readily attest from personal experience that reading and rereading the Screwtape letters helps make me so much more aware of what's going on in and around me, aware of the spiritual war I'm engaged in. 
Because when we are not aware that we have a battle to fight, temptations to resist daily, then we've nearly lost the battle already. We must attend to what matters and seek to understand how God made us, what pleases him, and what can pull us away from him if we let it. So yes, please read the screw tape letters or reread it. Um, I am amazed every time I return to it, the new layers I see and the insights I've already forgotten that I'm reminded of. Uh, honestly, it's the kind of book that I want to read at least once a year. It's that important, or at least it's it's been that important in my life. It just puts everything in perspective. In fact, let me close with this little anecdote. A while back, I was asked what book I would choose to keep if I could only ever have one book besides the Bible to read. And I hesitated because that's like the hardest question ever. But after a while, I tentatively said that I might choose the screw tape letters. I got some weird looks, but it's true. Uh, that's just how rich and how rereadable I think this book is. So I hope the analysis and the background information I've offered here will be helpful, especially if you have never read the screw tape letters. Uh, feel free to message me on Facebook, Instagram, or Patreon if you have any questions about the book that I can answer or thoughts on it you'd like to share. I love it when these reviews become dialogues, when you share your opinions with me and we can have a, a real discussion. So you're always more than welcome to get in touch individually, and those links are in the episode description. Next week, for episode 11, I am looking forward to reviewing another children's book. I hope you don't get tired of those, uh, since I can tell you I certainly don't. A good quality children's literature really is some of the best fiction out there, in my humble opinion. And next week's book is no exception. We will be taking a look at Robert C. O'Brien's novel, Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim. I so enjoyed reading this book for the first time this year, and I will enjoy discussing it on the podcast next Wednesday. I hope you tune in then, and thanks for listening today. Also, a special thank you to my patrons who help support this podcast and keep it ad-free for all my listeners. As always, I'm your host, Rochelle Ferguson, and to learn more about me and my writing, just head to my website, kittywainproductions.com, linked in the episode description. I'll see you next week. 